people, when they scale these businesses, they don't think about necessarily how much every time you add a person, you're adding complexity to the business exponentially. Because a lot of times startups are just doing things just out of necessity, not because they think that's the way they should be doing them. What you are as a company as 10 people is different from what you are as a company as 30. One of the biggest things that we learned to your point earlier was community was such an important aspect of what we were building. My guest today is Asha Haji, who's the co-founder of Framework. Framework is the world's first on-demand business school, which is due to launch this year. On the show today, Asha tells me how she closed a seed round of 2 million, which brought in some pretty impressive angel investors. We talk about the problems employees of Scale-Up suffer from and how Framework plans on solving this problem. And we talk about the importance of building and scaling a community for your business. I'm your host, Mark McDonough, and this is the UKTN podcast. Our sponsors of the show, Uncapped, believe it's crazy that for e-commerce businesses to fund growth through marketing, infantry or hiring, they have to sell equity to VCs, especially when they know they'll make that money back right away. Uncapped solved that problem. Already helping over 500 businesses worldwide, they offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales, no dilution or loss of control. Founders simply apply online, receive a decision within 24 hours and make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Now let's get into the show. Asha, I thought it would be a great idea to have you on the show because you're doing something that is is quite close to my heart and what I did when I had uh, or when I was running the startup van, um, which when we were doing that was all about inspiring and educating entrepreneurs. And as everyone knows, there's a, there's a huge number of entrepreneurs that fail in the first three years of business. And we were trying to improve those stats and improve those odds. And that's why I thought it'd be interesting to have you on because what you're starting with, with framework. And I just thought it, it would be nice to have a conversation around where you came up with the idea um, and, and, and when it's actually launching. Because I know it's, it's the waiting list at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a wait list. Um, we've got a beta community who are actually using the app as we're building it. Um, so we, the way we set it up with them was we, um, essentially, uh, made an all call out to people to say, Hey, you know, we're going to be building this and we're going to be taking founding members. Um, we're going to take a hundred of them because we just felt like that was a number we could manage. Um, and, and if we had like thousands of people, we wouldn't be able to have a relationship with them at least from the get go. Cause yeah. the size of our team, um, so we're like, so okay, there's, well, a, there's a hundred using the beta, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got hundreds who are using the beta, and and the way it works is, we got about we have about three thousand something people on the wait list, and then we had um, about five hundred people who did like applications directly to the beta because we made that like a full process, and they were from fifty something countries, you know, all over, and we decided to pick a hundred of them who we thought represented companies that probably would match um, our first round of companies that we would then sell this into. Um, So we leaned a bit more towards um, VC-backed companies like Series A+. plus. We have some seed stage companies in there too, but but that was what we leaned towards just because we felt like it was like the sweet spot of having enough resources to pay for something like this. Um, We did get a lot of founders, to your point about Startup Van. Like we got a bunch of founders being like, help, <laughs> you know, I need, I need to learn everything, you know? Um, 
And we're like, well, you know, we, we are really trying to focus on the employees of these companies um, as opposed to just being a, a hub for founders, because there's a lot of resources out there for founders, but there's a lot less for those like employees, you know, 10 to a thousand who join a startup. Like they don't get Ellen. They usually don't get much L&D if at, at all, if at all. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's, that's been our, like, at least our hypothesis, our hypothesis of who we think the first group should be. Um, so yeah, we've been building with them. So technically it's out there, like it's in a beta version of the app stores. Um, but they're getting like <laughs> the like half built, you know, every week we give them new features version of it and they're giving us live feedback on what we're building. So that's, that's how we've approached it so far. So, so explain to me a little bit more on who the audience is. Cause I took it that I said it was, I, I took it that it was for founders um, yeah, that, or, yeah. or for people with early stage businesses, I should say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's the market that I thought you're going after. But you're actually going after a, a slightly different market then, is it? It's a slightly different market. So it's um, we do have some founders in there. Don't get me wrong. So we do have some founders in there. Um, but it's really the employees once a company has either just hit PMF or is about to hit PMF um, or maybe they've hit it in one market and then they need to figure out another market. You know, so they're on that sort of precipice of like, let's go, like, let's grow this thing. Let's, let's try to make sense of it. And it's like this really chaotic, fun period where, you know, you think you've got something and it's starting to get legs and, you know, you're getting some traction, you're getting some press, you're getting some movement and everything's just moving so fast that, uh, the employees at these companies are coming in and it's just like chaotic, right? (laughs) Like they're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to they're trying to be helpful. They're trying to you know latch on to the ride, right? And and these people are the most in trouble during this stage, right? Like what happens is you see these early employees, they give their heart and soul, they help build something, and then they reach a certain point in the scale of the business where they don't have the skills to be able to move on to that next stage, right? Like maybe they were a good Series A employee, but now that it's Series C it's looking a little funny, right? Like it's, it's a bit more difficult for them to navigate. And, you know, they, they, they were ahead of, you know, this department, but now all of a sudden the, the business wants to hire in a VP or um, a senior leader from more corporate backgrounds, right? And that's really disheartening for people who have been on that journey. They're like, wait a minute, I was here from the beginning and, you know, or near the beginning. And, and now I, you know, now I, my skills haven't uh, matched the, uh, the challenge ahead. And no one even taught me how to do any of these things. I just sort of picked them up as I went. And so we think that that stage is, is such an important stage to be able to actually develop these people because this is the biggest cost that these companies have, right? Like you look at these scaling businesses, they're hiring something like 20, 30, 40, 50 people, uh, you know, sometimes a month, right? Um, sometimes even a week. And, and a lot of times it's because they feel the people they've got can't live up to the challenge that they have, right? Not because they actually need that scale. I mean, if you look at Headspace versus Calm, they have the same stats in terms of, you know, revenue, in terms of valuations, in terms of users, yet Calm has like half the people. (laughs) They have like half the people. And so it's really interesting to see how they have achieved, you know, just as much relevance as Headspace, if not more in in some aspects, yet they've done it with half the people. And so you realize something's going on there that that is happening within development of these teams, figuring out how to lean, you know, have a lean approach to, to growth. 
um, that you really can only accomplish if you have really, really strong practices and development of your of your teams. I know Michael Atkins Smith is is part of your your community and your network. And I've interviewed him before in the past, and he's done a great job with Cam. Do you have any insight there on on how he has managed to do it and the way he's done it with 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 as you said a leaner team? Like, has he given you any feedback, or do you have any insight there? And not specifically from Michael. Um, I've heard him talk about his journey um, from Mushy Monsters and you know Mind Candy, and then and then eventually over to Calm, you know, personally, and and what he's done to you know be inspired to create to learn from the mistakes of the first businesses that he's run, right, and to yeah. and to figure out how to not kind of explode your costs. So I think I think it was a battle, <laughs> a battle worn um, lesson on on his on his part. Um, and uh, honestly, I think. It has a lot to do with smarter comms internally, right? Um, you know, really understanding what are the jobs to be done, what who do you need to do what, what who's belongs in what seat on the bus, and and just being extremely focused on making sure everybody can be as effective as possible and cut the noise, right, from yeah. the work that they're doing, right? And again, it's really difficult to do that if you don't even know the job you're doing. Like if you if you if you are still learning how to do that job. How do you know how to then prioritize what you should learn six months from now, right? When you are just making up the script as you go, right? He was lucky enough that he, you know, went on that journey. That wasn't his first rodeo. I think that was like his third or fourth, right? And by the time you get to calm, it's like, all right, there's a lot of things I got wrong before, you know? How do I translate that into this, this venture? And how do I make sure this venture can be a success? That you know, is learning the hard way, right? But his teams benefited from his learnings, right? And that's the type of insight that we want to bring into what we're building with Framework. We want to take the insights of people like Michael and, and other operators too, not just founders, right? You know, VPs of marketing and, um, you know, chief growth officers and COOs and, you know, all these other types of folks and, you know, heads of HR and, and translate that into, you know, insights that people can use again and again, because frankly, people aren't documenting this stuff in a, in a really clear, coherent way, right? It's just scattered in random Twitter threads and, and sub stacks and it's just all over the place, you know? And it doesn't match the traditional curriculum that you see in MBAs, right? Like those are, those, I did an MBA. Those are made for a corporate career, uh, a, a general management career that exists, um, you know, in an in a, in a old model, right? And this is a different paradigm entirely, the way we're working in startups and scaling businesses. And you you need someone to help provide those insights because frankly, also a lot of people, they just aren't even privileged enough to know people who've been on the journey. A lot of people don't even, when you come into this world, you don't even know who to learn from, who's who's who, what's the landscape, who to talk to, who to trust, who's who's just a, you know making stuff up as they go, who actually has real insights. And so it's just really hard to find, you know, the right content, the right learning, um, the right guidance. And I know that from my own personal experience as well, too. Like, just the fact that I lived in West London before I <laughs> before I joined startups, I was like, I don't even have I don't even have the time to go to Old Street and like go to these meetups and and like get in the mix because by the time I got off of work, it would be like nine o'clock at night by the time I made it to the other side of town, right? And 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 so I think just little things like that make it hard for people if they're trying to break in. And it makes it hard for them if they're new to this space to to level up quickly. You're completely right. And I, I've witnessed it a lot with a lot of founders. I think I, I, I give the number out that it's about 3,000 founders I've interviewed to date. And 
everyone has a different story and everyone comes at something completely differently. And it's not the same for just because you're not a corporation and, or a big corporation and you're a startup doesn't mean that it's going to be the same set of rules right. for, for who you are and what you're doing. Um, and, you know, it, it, I come to your point there as well, like a, a community that you build and, and other entrepreneurs that you, that you mingle with and engage with, like it, it, it's also knowing who to listen to there because a lot of them are on the same journey as you and right. they're making the mistakes that you you're you're making or are going to make and you're only hoping that you know the, the person that you're getting this advice from or that you're communicating with is able to give you some insight on that that might actually help you it's it's like it's such a it's such a vast uh journey that you're going on and again like it's 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 so many different inputs and knowing what to listen to and what not to listen to yeah a hundred percent and and i think what we're trying to do is codify some of that, right? Like we're trying to take, you know, we're part of the Founders Forum group, right? So we're we, we're lucky in that we have access to these amazing leaders, right? Who have track records, right? Um, but what Michael wants, you know, just to sit on his example uh, for a second, is very different potentially than what somebody else wants or, or what they think is the right idea, right? And so creating a, a bit of diversity in terms of, you know, these different frameworks that people use to be successful um, or to solve problems or the lens that they use to see the world, you need to have the right context, right? Like you need to know, okay, this is from somebody who scaled this type of business in this type of context with this type of resource, you know, at their disposal, right? And if you have that, then you can start understanding what applies to you, how you want to use it. And I think what we're also trying to do is we're trying to create community around this. So it's not just top down. Because I think a lot of times you read this stuff and you're like, okay, that's great. But like, what do I do with this information? Like, how do I apply this? Like, what does it mean for me? And a lot of, a lot of these resources out here are just about a bunch of people just waxing poetic, right? Just being like, oh, this is my story and da, 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 And that's great. You know, it's inspiring. But, you know, a lot of people just need help. They need to actually know how to do something very specifically. Like they need specific playbooks for the, their jobs. And I think you what what you want to do is give people practical, actionable knowledge that they can apply, but make sure that they understand the limits, right? Like this works in this context, but not in that context. Or this, you know, and here's another here's another feedback model that you might want to use when you're dealing with this type of employee versus this type of employee, right? You know, senior person versus junior person, right? Maybe you want to be more directive with the junior person because they just need help and guidance. If it's someone who's significantly senior and maybe you need to leverage their expertise and there's an ego there, you know, all these things, right? Like, so, so it's, it's just all about situational leadership and context and, and that type of stuff is, is what we're aiming to do with, with what we're building. I, I think it's important because I've seen a number of companies, I won't mention any names where they've, they've scaled rapidly and which is great for the business, but what I noticed that was happening internally was that the whoever was in first was training the next person who was Mm -hmm. then training the next person who was then training Mm -hmm. the next person and the problem that that was having the knock-on effect that i was having and it it goes it it was going in two ways if they hired someone who was extremely good and they were lucky enough to get someone extremely good at the beginning they were able to pass down the knowledge to the next person Mm -hmm. but a lot of the time that doesn't happen um they end up uh, paying a team member a, a smaller salary to get them on board, and um, that person isn't exactly up to speed on what their job right. 
title uh, uh, should be and, and what their skill set should be. Um, so they were passing down their knowledge to the next person, which was getting worse and worse and worse because it was also getting right. diluted um, as it goes down. Now, that's also taking into a fact that if the, if the next person that was coming on board hadn't a clue what was happening or, or wasn't sure. up to date. But, you know, it just I, I just noticed it with this company. Now, it's a big company. It's a, it's a, a worldwide brand, but you could see it happening um, all over. So it, I think it's important for something like this because they might not necessarily notice it until it's too late. A hundred percent. Well, there's this equation. There's two things you just talked about there, right? That was the Russian doll, right? So it's sort of like the the A person, B person, C person. Here we go, right? You know, and maybe they aren't even a B or C person necessarily, but they become they become that in this context because they don't have the the right onboarding, right? The right training, the right support, right? And oftentimes that's such an afterthought. I know I know some startups that have 250, 300 people and they haven't even thought about L&D yet. They're, they're hiring their first HR person, right? Yeah. You know, think about that. Like, just think about that for a second. Like, that is wild, right? But that is so common. And and if you think about it, um, there's this equation, um, just to be a bit nerdy for a second, uh, N squared minus N, right? And technically divided by two, but you can remove the divided by two. That's the uh, amount of complexity that exists every time you add somebody to a business. And the reason why I say that is like, so if you think about there's three people in a business, we're like the, the communication channels between the three of us is, is there's three of them. There's me, you, and then the third person. And then there's a relationship between me and that third person, me and you, and you and that third person, right? So that's three relationships right there, right? But if you don't divide it by two, it's really six relationships because it's the relationship I think I have with you and the one you think you have with me, right? Uh, which might be different from each other, right? Every time you add a person to that equation, then it's going up exponentially, right? So now instead of three relationships, you have four of them, right? So that's 16 minus four, right? That's 12 relationships if you map them all out, right? And it just keeps going on and on. And, and so, every, so, so people, when they scale these businesses, they don't think about necessarily how much every time you add a person, you're adding complexity to the business exponentially. And the communications channels and silos become much more complicated to manage, right? And it's so easy for these like, you know, myths and fables and lore about like, this is how we do things, but why do we do them? And where did this come from? And is is this even something that shouldn't be challenged, right? Um, Because a lot of times startups are just doing things just out of necessity, not because they think that's the way they should be doing them. And then all of a sudden, someone treats it, maybe that person in the chain you just talked about is, is thinking that that's actually just the way you're supposed to do things. And they're training somebody and being like, oh, well, you just need to do it this way. And that's that's how we do it here. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, that's how we do it here. And then the founder is like, this is totally not how we should be doing things. Um, but but they've lost control of that because there's 500 people in the company all of a sudden and they don't even know everybody at this point. So so it's, it's really hard to manage that scale. I, I don't think um, founders realize how difficult it is to get the HR part of the business right and correct um and it's only when when i was building startup fan that i was talking to all of the 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 founders that we were interviewing talking to the people in the community and in in order of of, um, what they were struggling with hr was right up there at the top um now there was no specific you know uh, question or problem around hr but i was also talking to a founder there recently enough who a year ago they had 100 employees now they've got 300 Mm-hmm. And they're still scaling and they need to hire another, another hundred this year alone, um, which is massive growth. And 
they're pulling back on it because they need to figure out how to handle the growth um, of the new team right? in order to be able to build the next team. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's, there's, what you are as a company as 10 people is different from what you are as a company as 30, which is different from 75, which is different from 200, which is different from 300, right? Like, like each of the challenges that you face have everything to do with complexity around, you know, should we be unified? Should we be fractioned, you know, fractioned out? Should we have senior people, junior people, athletes who can grow into roles? You know, should we be international? Should we be distributed? Should we be all in one place? You know, how do we work together? Each of these systems exist and then break when you hit a new break point, right? And then you have to reconfigure the systems again to make sense for the new company that you've become. Yeah. And all those new people, you know, so this company, you said they went from 100 to 300 in a year, right? There's 200, there's two, there's two versions of that company. Think about it. It's like the, per, the, the first company was 100 people. There's like two other companies that have since joined them, right? You know, the second 100 people and then the third 100 people. And then now you're trying to make them into one big company, right? You know, it's, it's, it's pretty wild, right? Um, well, th- and, there's, more, there's more new people than the raws of the exactly, original company size. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And think of all the work that that company did to get to 100 people, like all the things that it took to get to that first 100 was probably massive, right? Like that was probably lots of late nights, years of, you know, just, just grinding away, right? And then they got to this place. And then just like that, they're tripling that size, right? Um, so, so yeah, it's, you look at Spotify as well, too, as another example, you know, they, they talk about the Spotify model, and that's specifically around how their engineering team works. And everything about that model, they say it was just a point in time in 2012 and it just keeps breaking and then they have to come up with something new, you know, to address the way they operate, you know? And so you, you can't just sit still with this stuff, right? Like you have to keep moving forward and it can't just be the founders who are moving forward. It's gotta be all the employees too, right? Like they yeah. all have to feel like they know what their job is in six months so that they can level up to be a part of the new version of their business uh, in that time which is so different from working at a corporate. Like, it's just massively different. <laughs> like, a corporate does not physically change itself into something totally different every six months. Like, it just doesn't do that. And, and that's what's unique about this journey. Yeah, and, and I, I think an important thing not to forget as well is that a lot of these founders in the C-suite team have never even ran a company of this size before. And a lot of them have never even ran a company full stop before. Correct. <laughs> Correct, right? And so that's what makes it so hard. Um, and a lot of them also probably didn't get into the business of running a big company. They got into the business of trying to solve a problem and being passionate about that problem and, you know, being obsessed with that problem. And then it just, they tripped and fell and all of a sudden there's 300 people that they're looking at and they're trying to figure out what to do with them. So, so who are the mentors going to be? Because when you look at the, the website, you see all these impressive founders um that have come from like i see richard branson on there i've said michael atkins smith is on there are these going to be the educators or or what what way is it going to work so so these people are all part of the founders forum ecosystem right so that's that's our home right like so we're part of founders forum um and and these people are regular members and 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 come and, and and you know support our efforts right some of them will be people that we will tap into for either, you know, different types of roles, be it office hours where they'll come in and uh, do live sessions with, um, with our cohorts. 
there is also the opportunity for them to review our uh, actual content, our curriculum. So for them to be able to say, hey, you know, these are the frameworks that I use that I've, I found, you know, successful and helpful uh, for our business. And then sometimes we might just showcase them as part of case studies as well, too. So they might be like the actual content itself about like, let's study a case study on, you know, Calm, let's study a case study on Virgin, let's study a case study on on LinkedIn, you know, Reed Hoffman, et cetera, right? So, so those are the different models that we're going to be tackling with, with this community. But it's going to go beyond just the founders that you see that are kind of the headliners of Founders Forum. We really want to use framework as a means to elevate the operator. So the, again, all the other functional heads that exist who aren't on the cover of Fortune magazine, who aren't, you know, um, always getting, you know, tons and tons of press, but are remarkable, remarkable people who have helped going on that scaling journey and have very, very practical uh, resources to be able to download into our community those people are really going to be the stars of, of our community because they're, they're going to be the ones who really uh, not just have this incredible story that's super visionary. Yes, they, a lot of them have that as well too, but they're also going to be the ones to be like, all right, here's the five growth experiments you need to run next week, right? <laughs> you know, do this, do that, do that, do that. And, and that's what our community is craving. That's what they actually need, right? Um, yeah. Is practical, actionable advice, uh, which you know, the, the headliners, um, have some of that, but a lot of times they deputize that to other members of their executive team. The word community is getting so much, uh, press over the last couple of years. Um, just because most successful companies have, have built a successful community, which, you know, brought on a, a successful company with that. And I know when we were building startup van, it was all about, building a community and, and, you know, doing it for, for, for the, the entrepreneurs. And we weren't selling anything, um, other than sponsorship to big brands, but our content was aimed at entrepreneurs, um, wanting to learn, wanting to be inspired. How, how, how are you going to manage the community? And the reason I ask that is because as the community gets bigger, and I find this myself with our community is you'll have, it, it'll be broken down between different levels of say one would also was entrepreneurs so you'd have entrepreneurs that you know have have closed 50 plus million in funding um, and then you'll have the majority of the the community who would be under one one or two million in funding and they all want to know from the from the guys at the top um, right and it's fine because if you if you're if you're at the bottom let's say all of the information is beneficial that's right. coming in and all right. of the conversations you're you're taking part in but if you're if you're the people at the top um a lot of that is irrelevant to you because you've been there done that but you don't really have many people in the community to ask the questions you might need at that right level. so uh, have you have you thought about how how you might work around that a quick sponsor reminder if you're looking to fund growth without having to give away equity uncap solve this problem to find out more, go to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Yeah, it's such a great question. And we actually, we're really close to um, uh, Tom Foster Carter, who's used to be the CEO of um, Monzo. And now he's uh, running his own company, Lollipop. He was one of our uh, coaches while we were doing the first version of our business, Founders Academy. And it was something we talked to him about because he's like, okay, who do I want to learn from, right? I just went on this crazy ride helping grow Monzo. 
you know, do I want to learn from, you know, necessarily some other European founders, maybe, you know, but also I really want to learn from some people in the States, right? Like, because they're on, you know, another stratosphere, oftentimes in terms of what they're growing and and what they're doing, right? And so everybody always is trying to look up, right? Like, they're always trying to say, I want to see somebody who's three, four years ahead of me, or three to four times bigger than me, or whatever it is, right? And, and how do I, you know, take those lessons from them, right? And, and I think what we want to do is create different um, access and status for people on the app based on the journey that they're on, right? Um, and I think that doesn't have to do with tenure necessarily, right? So it shouldn't be like, oh, the longer you've been on the app, you know, uh, or the more senior you are, that means, you know, that you get this sort of credentializing. But like, I think it has much more to do with like the value you want to give and the value you want to get, right? And yeah. so I think if someone's quite, quite senior, they fit more into our faculty as opposed to being a traditional member, right? So if they're, and, and sometimes people can elevate into that position. So maybe they're on the journey and then all of a sudden, maybe it's somebody who's super senior at a place like Tier, right? Or, you know, Kazoo or, you know, something that's a company that's really, really growing and, and going to a different place and, be, and just recently becoming a unicorn. And they've learned so much on that journey that now it makes sense for them to maybe flip into faculty mode, right? Where they're giving more than, you know, than they normally would get. And in that case, we still want to create community, but we want to create community among the faculty. So, so the faculty can learn from each other, right? So it's, it's like another version of Founders Forum, but, it, but specifically for these operators, as opposed to just from, you know, the rock star founders, right? Yeah. And we did that at Founders Academy and people got so much value from it, right? Like we, um, created these faculty pods where we said, okay, here's, let's find some of the best product people we can find. Let's find some of the best growth people, best ops people, you know, best tech people, data people. And then we got them together for these dinners and they're like, okay, tell us what should be on our curriculum and and let's like riff and talk. And they just loved being in a room with each other. They're like, oh, this is so refreshing. (laughs) Like talking to other people about what we think is the best, you know, for, for our function, our field. And oftentimes these people aren't elevated in that way all the time. Right. You know? And so, so I think there's still community, but it has to exist, um, in an appropriate fashion for the way they're engaging in in our platform. And, and so I think for those senior people, that's where they belong. And then I think for people, you know, different stages, we have it set up in the app where you can filter on different functions. You can filter on different industries. You can filter on different stage of company. So you can find your people, you can find your squad, right. And you can engage with them and ask questions of them. Uh, in a way that makes sense um, for the journey that you're on. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, just something I noticed when we were building our community, the engagement levels, because it was pretty much all for one with us. It wasn't broken down between rooms and levels. Um, And it was just something I noticed that I'd I'd picked up on and that others had picked up on that I'd actually improve next time doing it around. Mm. Um, Let's talk about funding for a little bit, actually, because you you recently closed a, a seed round of two million. Um, mm-hmm. what, was it difficult for you closing that round? It, it wasn't difficult, um, but it was a journey, right? So I think for us, we, um, you know, we really had to decide, uh, you know, what kind of funding we wanted to get from whom and, and, and how we wanted to present ourselves. Right. And so we went out to the market pretty, um, you know, pretty bullish, right? We said, Hey, we want to try to close this round in a couple of months, you know, bing, bang, boom, let's try to get some, you know, deals on the table and and see what happens. Right. And we did a lot of upfront work, um, to be able to have that level of confidence coming out, right? Like we 
fostered a lot of relationships ahead of time. You know, so we said, Hey, we're not raising, but let's talk about what we're doing and get your feedback on it. So we did that for months, right. Where we just sort of like planted seeds with different potential partners that were recommended to us. And, you know, in that time, it was really great because we were able to um, update our deck and take feedback from people. And I think there's this idea, I think I'm sure you've heard of it before, right? Where it's like people in, in, in invest in lines, not dots, right? So it's this idea of we had who, the, the people who ended up being our lead investors, we met with them initially and they actually were just like, I'm not sure, you know, they were, they were, they didn't quite see it. Right. And, and we were like, well, what feedback would you, what would you want to see for it to, to be something that you were sure about? Right. And it's good that we asked that question because we got a, a huge email back, right. With like really thorough feedback on, on what they thought would make sense for this to, to be something that was viable. And then like six weeks later, we did all those things. And then <laughs> we came back, we're like, oh, we did this, we did this, we did that. And they're like, wow, okay. Like you guys are really moving. You know, you're taking this in and you're applying it and you're, you know, so that was like the line, the line was, the line had happened, right. As opposed to it just being the dot. Right. And, and what we liked about them was that they wanted to be in the sandbox with us. Like they wanted to play with us and talk to us and riff on the idea. There was that shared passion. Um, you know, there was a lot of other investors where it was just a dot, right? Like they were just like, oh, you know, not not really interested in ed tech or don't really think it's um, a space that that they're confident in themselves personally. It's like, okay, that's fine. Um, and and I think in those instances, you know, if you, you have to, you can't be like, okay, well, I'll make you interested. <laughs> you have to, you have to be like, you know, this is, there's got to be a mutual love here for what we're doing and a mutual fit. And I think, you also have to believe in us, right? Like yeah. we believe in us, right? But you got to believe in us, right? And there's a whole host of things about, you know, people bring their biases to these conversations, whether they like to or not, um, about how much they want to believe in, in us, right? And and I think um, we really gravitated towards people who just gave that, they bounced that energy back. They just were like, I want to be a partner with you right from the beginning, whether or not we even decided to take a deal with them that was the energy that we always reinvested in where, where people were really trying to, to, um, you know, riff on our model, talk to us in an intellectual way about what we're doing, you know, come up with ideas, uh, versus being a bit more negative and thinking like, Oh, you know, these are all the million ways it won't work. And it's like, well, we're a seed stage business. 99% of these aren't going to work. You know, you just have to believe that we will. Um, and I think that exists for a lot of female founders where, there's studies that show, right. That like more often than not female founders get questions about the viability of the model and more often than not, you know, male founders get, uh, conversations about the possibilities. And so okay. we were very happy when we found people who were talking about the possibilities. Cause we're like, you just have to know that everything we're saying is going to change, but you just have to believe that we're smart enough to make the right changes. Right. And this is a journey we're on. Um, so anyway, we did that work. We ended up uh, getting a term sheet pretty quickly. Um, and then we actually got two. And so we ended up going down the path uh, with one of them. Um, but it also meant that the way we structured our round involved uh, with the ones that we went with, that we would also have space for a lot more operators and angels to join the round, as opposed to the other term sheet was much tidier. It was like a, two VCs and then they fill up the round and then it's over. Um, and we ended up being happy with that second second version of things, which is a bit like, you see this a lot. Like I think, um, 
on deck did this too, right? Where they had like just hundreds of people. We don't have hundreds, but like they have like hundreds of people investing in them. And for us, we liked the idea of that because of the fact that uh, our whole product is an ecosystem product. It's about the tech ecosystem helping the tech ecosystem. So we're like, why don't we get some really kick-ass tech operators to, to put some money in on this, right? And actually back us, right? Because they're the people who then will likely be on our faculty. They'll likely you know, sell this to their teams. They're going to give us really great insights and case studies. And it just made a lot of sense. And we're already seeing that with our, you know, with our angels. Like they're just so excited to, to lean in and be a part of this um, with every investor update we give them. You had mentioned there that um, you, you were fairly early stage when you were first uh, looking for the round of funding. How early were you? Because like as I said, you're still in beta at the moment. So wh- whereabouts on the journey were you when you started looking? We, we were a design prototype and to me and my co-founder, that's it. Right. Okay. So the the list that came <laughs> back, I'm I'm interested. To, what what can you share with us from that list? Is that you were, that you were able to go off and change, uh, like the the number of things that they wanted you, you to? Yeah. Add? Yeah. It was more. It was more getting uh, the list that came back. We we went and we actually just redesigned the prototype, right? So based on based on what we heard, um, and we also just got more market feedback and product validation from people we spoke to. Cause we spoke to hundreds of people about what we were building. Um, and it was important for us to get real clarity on what the business model was going to be, um, you know, what the needs are for this curriculum uh, and, and just what, how it flowed. I think one of the biggest things that we learned to your point earlier was community was such an important aspect of what we were building. The initial version of this um, that we had was a bit more like Blinkist. Like it was a bit more like, Hey, Here's just a really great, rich content library. And we quickly realized like, that's not going to fly. Like that's not, that's not the future, right? The future is content plus community in equal measure, right? And, and it's something that you really need to, you know, bring right from the beginning. And it's something that we knew we did it with Founders Academy. That was the first version of our business, right? Uh, and that was a hundred percent community. It was a cohort live, you know, in-person program. And we did it really well. And, and we built community around it with our founding partners and our faculty. And it was just like this whole really rich experience where everybody loved it. And so then it's like, why are we building a product that doesn't have that in its DNA? It was, it was so obvious, but like for whatever reason, we initially came out of the gate without that. So, so I think that was just like, a, oh yeah, <laughs> like, like let's build this. And I think the reason why also is because a lot of times you have these notions in your head where you're like, can people do community well online? Um, you know, in the same way that we had created such a rich community uh, in person. And, and I think for us, we, we really came to that pretty quickly. We're like, oh yeah, of course we can. And we actually got advice from somebody who knows this well. One of our advisors was um, Vincent Boone, who was the head of uh, community for GIFGAF. And so right. he really helped us just instill some, some insights on like, what does it mean to create like a really rich vibrant online community and we just took that and ran with it and and, and what does it mean you know like because like i know there's so many listeners now that that are trying to build communities themselves that like and this is exactly why i'm doing this podcast because i want to be able to share you know your learnings with, with others um what do you think it takes to build that type of community I think there's a lot of things. And actually, there's a there's actually one of our frameworks is on this. Um, so it's a little, little bit meta here. But uh, there's these seven principles of belonging, right, which is like the foundational principles of what does it mean to, to build a strong community. Um, so 
so you know that that's it's, it's a, there's a whole book uh, on that um, that we've codified in, in what we're building. But just a few things to summarize: people need a shared purpose, right? So they need a shared reason for why they're in this together, and it can't be loose. It's got to be tight, right? Um, there's got to be a, this whole concept of a boundary principle about like who's in, who's out, and why you know why are they in and why are they out, right? And there's got to be ways to progress. We talked about it earlier, right? Like how do you progress through the community, right? With like, oh, does someone graduate into being faculty? What does that mean? How do you get to that place, right? Um, yeah. And 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 there's also these ideas of um, uh, these tokens that you can have, right? Um, these rituals that you can have uh, around what does it mean to be, you know, to to engage with the community, and those rituals need to be sacred in some way, right? And and there's also these tokens that you can have that represent. I am part of this community, right? So you think of Y Combinator, people say, I'm YC17, you know, I'm this and that. They put it on their LinkedIn, right? That means something to people, right? Um, and, and, and so all of these things, if you, if you combine all of these elements, right, um, these principles of belonging, people will feel status, they'll feel pride in being a part of, of, of what you're building and what they represent. You can't just like open up a forum, stick some people's names in there yeah. and say, go talk, right? <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not going to happen, right? And and there, and and I think that shared purpose and shared vision and um, shared pride, right, and and what it is, and there, uh, that's something that creates the seeds of community. But it still requires lots of maintenance, lots of management, yeah. And and, and it's an ongoing kind of organism. I interviewed Alex, um, who's the co-founder and CMO of Chip. And they've built two massive communities in fairness. They've like built their user community, but they've also crowdfunded a lot. So they've built their investor community. And when I was talking to him about like how they're actually engaging with their community, he was saying like, like keep it simple because he sees a lot of people making it complicated. And it was, for him, keeping it simple was by having Facebook groups mm-hmm. and using Facebook to communicate with the community. Um, and I think a lot of the time what he was saying as well is it's just involved them. You know, if you're if you're making a decision that's going to affect them, include them in the decision. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what we're doing with 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 their beta. Right. So we had a choice. And I remember sitting with my co-founder, Rio, we were in the on the balcony at Founders Forum's office. And we we're just like, OK, what are we going to do about this beta? Right. Like, are we a going to just go into a bunker and just build the thing? Right. Or B, do we want to have, you know, some sort of building in public process? Right. Like in building in front of users. And there's pros and cons to both. Right. We ultimately said, let's build in front of some people. Let's let's actually, uh, you know, have an audience for everything we do from scratch. And so, literally, when Team Beta joined, they saw like drawings. They're like, this is this is what we're going to do, and then, and then you're going to get some features next week, and then after that, more features. And so, every week, we're dropping stuff for them. It's like, check this out, check this out, give us feedback, give us feedback. And you know, I mean, the amount of accountability you got to have, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're actually having real customers look at you as you're building your product, but say, hey, guess what? you get to have access to this. You get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of this founding member team. And, and what you say directly affects how we're going to do this. We're building it for you. You know, um, that just creates a whole nother layer of, of pride and, um, you know, excitement from them, which we made the right choice, but it definitely is stressful, right? Because (laughs) you can't just take a day off because you actually are like, someone's looking at this. I have to make sure it's, it's good, even though we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, well, you, you actually touched on a couple of important points there with, with funding that, you know, you wanted to make sure you got people involved that, you know, were part of the 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 mission and the vision um, and not just investing money. And now you've got someone involved who who doesn't really understand what you're trying to build here. 
do you think it's a, a prime opportunity for you eventually to maybe crowdfund? You know, it's funny for us, crowdfunding is something that we've, we've looked at. Um, but I think we ultimately thought the, there's a lot of complications that can sometimes come with crowdfunding. And I think particularly with us, I think it makes sense for a straight B2C product, right? Like I think if you're a B2C product and you a hundred percent are accountable to just the consumer of your product, then crowdfunding could make sense. I think for us, we see ourselves as a B2B2C product, meaning the way we're, we're going to approach these relationships with these companies is we go to the company, we say, hey, you know, you are uh, a potential partner for us uh, and your, co- your employees, you know, would be a great fit for the framework community. You can then offer this to your employees to then opt in to being a part of our community, right? We've, we've given you a special invitation to be a part of that. And when you're going B2B2C, that is, um, you know, who are you accountable to? The B comes before the C in terms of at least, you know, those relationships. But the C matters, in our case, the C matters the most because of the final decision maker, right? So I think I think having the beta community keeps us honest with our learners and our members, um, but having the, the um, operator angels keeps us also honest with the people who are going to be putting the bill, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think it would also be interesting to hear, like, you didn't share a date yet on when you're, you're launching, have you? No, we haven't. We haven't announced it yet. Um, But we tentatively are planning to um, open up beyond our beta this summer. Um, And we will be it'll still be it'll still be a limited release. So we'll have a wait list. Um, We do have a pretty big wait. We do have a really big wait list right now. But it will be a limited release to some of our initial partners. Um, So we'll have certain partner companies that we'll bring on and then we'll open up uh, beyond that. Um, So but yeah, so so stay tuned. Uh, (laughs) People will have a chance to apply for that. But but yeah, we're, we're really trying to be focused on making sure that for our initial partners, if they absolutely love it, and these are some of the best companies that exist, um, not just in the UK, but we have companies throughout you know, Europe and the US, if they absolutely love it, then we know everybody else will love it too. So we're, we're just trying to be really, really accountable to, um, to some of the most discerning <laughs> customers we could have. So, so I, I take it this isn't just a UK launch, it's actually a European no. launch, is it? It's, it's, yeah, it's, we, we actually had customers. So our beta, people who applied to the beta were from 50 countries. Um, So we actually have mainly focused on UK, Europe, and the US. Um, And so uh, we're likely going to launch in, in those markets. I'm interested to hear how you're, how you're building the waiting list. Is that, is it just word of mouth or are you actually promoting it? I think we spent like two hundred dollars on it, so it's it's a hundred percent word about. So that's um, good so return yeah. for two hundred. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. Um, so we it's just been LinkedIn. Honestly, we've just been saying stuff on LinkedIn, and then again, right? We've got all these people in our network as part of Founders Forum. We just tag them, and then they just tag other people, and then it just spreads like that. Yeah. The com- the community knock on effect. Asha, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and thank you for sharing everything with us. I'm looking forward to actually checking this out myself um, when, when it is live. But before you go, and I'm sure you know this, I ask all of my guests what book has had the biggest impact on them as an entrepreneur or on them and their business. Um, what book has had the biggest impact on you? So um, I'm probably going to, I'll, I'll stick with one that comes to mind, but there's a few that, that I think are, are really huge. So um, I would say uh, the hard thing about hard things, it's not, it's not the most unique one to choose, but it's probably the most honest 
uh, account from a founder that I think I've ever seen in print. Um, it's just showing how difficult it is to get a business off the ground. And I think that's important because, you know, I'm a part of a lot of different founder communities. And I think when the more people get real about the issues that they're having, I think Landscape has an anonymous founder community, I think has been really great to, to see people just open up. Um, you know, the, and I'm also part of uh, a CEO roundtable with Davinia Knowles um, running that, who used to work with Michael Acton Smith um, and a few others also uh, Tech Nation Libra as well too, um, all of these communities, the more people can let their guards down, talk about the really thorny, difficult issues that they're facing uh, and not feel like they're alone. Um, to see Ben Horowitz, you know, actually, uh, who's considered such a success, right? Um, talk about all of the ways he just totally screwed up and his startup was on the brink of failure constantly, um, I think is just, it's just like a reality check. Like this is hard. And, and that you need to spend time just putting in the work, recognizing even, you know, if you work hard, you're still going to have to have a bit of luck in the process uh, to be successful and that you just got to get up every day and fight another day. You're the third entrepreneur to mention that book and on everyone else's feedback, I've recently bought it and read it and just nice. finished it. So yeah, no, I, I do recommend it to anyone else out there listening and wondering what their next book should be is definitely that. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening. Before you go, could you please take a moment to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast? I'd really appreciate the support. And remember, our sponsor, Uncapped, offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales. No dilution or loss of control. Apply online. Decision within 24 hours. Make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10, that's UKTN10.